welcome to the Court Games LCG podcast, uh, your podcast produced for the Discord community uh, by myself, Steelfur. And Kikita Odimaru, also known as Trevor Cuba. Or I guess it's the other way around. <laughs> either, either way, I'll respond to you. Most people know you as Kikita Odimaru, unfortunately. You'd be surprised. I go to a lot of these conventions like, oh, hey, you're that Facebook group. Or, hey, you're that jerk who keeps beating me on Jigoku. Like, yeah. I mean, at me. least you're the jerk that keeps beating them on Jigoku rather than the one that keeps losing to them. Actually, I lose all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go on and talk about our lovely Lancer sponsors, such as they may be, which is... You, the listeners, our Patreon folks, and if you're listening and not paying to Patreon, that's fine too. We appreciate all the attention we can get and stuff. A big shout out to the people who do pay towards the Alphavar Discord Patreon, which goes to support this podcast, our sister podcast, the Court Games RPG podcast, the Discord, and the Discord League, and all the efforts that uh, Sebastian does. Yep, and there is still a, a website in development for Alphavar. When it comes out, it will be a very, very useful resource for the community, um, which will be um, sort of funded by the Patreon. And while we have no official ties to Fantasy Flight whatsoever, it would be good on us to point out the products that they have coming out for this game, at least for the LCG side, which we've gotten a lot of news about recently. In the next couple months, be on the lookout for the Warriors of the Wind, that is the Unicorn Clan Pack, slated to be shipped soon, quotation marks, and then soon after that, the Crane Pack will be shipping. Also, we have word that the... Inheritance cycle will be starting soon with For the Empire and Bonds of Blood, first two packs announced for that cycle. Yeah, it's going to be a very exciting time. I certainly know the Unicorn players I play with are very, very excited to find out what's coming in Warriors of the Wind, um, especially a certain Moto Chagatai, but uh, what his ability is. I mean, he's a character steeped in lore, though we'll see, because he's at the very start of his journey, we'll see how big he grows whether or not he grows into um, the character that he used to be who took over most of the Empire and marched on the Imperial capital, or whether he'll keep things a bit more low-key. I know the Cranes were very excited to see Daidoji Uji previewed recently for the upcoming Crane Pack, which just putting Uji on the card would have been exciting enough, but turning him into a monstrously statted mobile uh, hidden moon dojo, that's just icing on the take. So I look forward to enjoying him until he gets banned. Every, well, everyone is delightfully um, pleased with that card, and I think justifiably so. He's less likely to be banned um, because I think he's just got a very powerful effect, but it does have some limitations and you can play around it, which is what you want in a, an effect that strong. Well, never look forward to digging out what's busted and what's overhyped, so we'll find that out. Yeah, exactly. Next, let's go to our weekly recap of the Discord League. Any insights into what's going on there? Uh, I mean, we're still very early sort of in the Season 13 Cup. We're still seeing quite a widespread of clans have made it into, I think we're into the top 32 now. Um, some very enthusiastic people have already sort of made their way um, into the top 16, have just been playing their games really quickly. Um, I can see that you're still in the round of 32. I unfortunately got knocked out just before we recorded this podcast by a Dragon Dueling deck. So, um, you know, I'm feeling the dishonor burn what can I say? It was a very interesting game. It sort of started out with a five bid because I needed to get my let goes and I mulliganed everything for my let goes as well. I didn't see one then until turn two. So I couldn't drop the die show before it cost me five honor. Um, so I expect we'll see a lot of that um, dueling happening all across the cup 
if dragons keep making it through. The Miramoto Daisho Dishonor Bomb is definitely something to watch out for. In my game, I played against one Toradori from the Hidden City uh, Rollers over in Australia. He came out uh, hard and fast, dropping Unleashed the Gins on me, a bunch of conflict characters from his hand. I think he played two or three of his uh, captive audience. There oh, you go. captive audience, yeah. He, he just, like, he took like three of my provinces in like a turn and a half. The problem is he burned through all his cards and more importantly his honor. So when I was able to just barely eke out a defense and save my Kikita Asami, I was just able to put a few fade on her and start an air and I quickly decided him out afterwards. Yeah, that is the real thing I suppose about that unicorn deck is that it does have such potential to just burn through itself and if you can get them to play their Dijins and Cavalry Reserves before the last conflict then you're always going to be at a bit of an advantage. Did you say you dishonored him? Oh, yeah. Uh, after the end of the round one, I think he had one, maybe two cards in his hand, and I still had seven or nine. So you were like, bid one? Bid one. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, tender work out from there. <laughs> I mean, you could you can keep bidding five in that scenario, and you'll always have more cards than him, but trying to drop him down. Because against Unicorn, you have to... You know, you have to factor in the yurts and things like that that can build them up more honor very quickly. So trying to dishonor them is a, it's an interesting choice. Can be a bit tricky. He just got his momentum going. I think he th- saw all three of his Shinjo ambushers, which neutralized my shameful display. It neutralized my upholding authority. All his... um captive audience he played two if not three of those so he had like everything he needed to beat me so honestly if i didn't go military i'm pretty sure he just would have overran me yeah you've got to hold out until they burn themselves out and then just smack them back um or the other option of course is when they attack with their first military conflict of the turn just punch them in the face but my next match is either going to be versus a phoenix or it's going to be versus a defeat phoenix so i'm quickly going to exit this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, have a bit of faith. Uh, certainly, Phoenix, you can beat, but uh, it may be a bit tricky. I have faith in you. What? Someone can dream, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I mean, look, you'll be fine. Uh, I do want to give a special shout out as uh, the Season 12 Cup has just wrapped up. And we have one by the name of Hida Schroeds, I believe I'm saying that's right. He piloted Crab into a crab-on-crab final matchup for Season 12 and ended up coming up the winner. To get to this road, he had to face some pretty stiff Phoenix oppositions, beating both the well-known Travis Fights Dragons and... um. Uh, Cobalt Blue, who I don't recognize myself, but he you know, got to the, the semi-final, so he must be a good Phoenix player. And speaking of Dishonor, as we know, is the traditional Crab's way of winning, I have noticed that if we could say one thing about the very dominant Phoenix decks, that might be their one single silver bullet is they can't support their own honor very well. So if you can get in there with the right amount of cards, you might be able to Dishonor them. Not an option available to all clans and not necessarily the most optimal solution in many cases, but... Frankly, it's better than going toe-to-toe with Tadaka. Yes. Next, we have some Kotai coming up. Uh, next week, we have a Grand Kotai in Paris, France. I believe you're going to that one. Is that correct? Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm quite excited. Um, I had a lot of fun last year at Paris, um, so I'm quite looking forward to going again. Still not sure. This is unfortunate with a week to go that what my deck is going to be, but uh, I'm either going to play Dueling or Phoenix, uh, but probably Dueling. Dueling is so much fun. I'm probably going to be playing Dueling until it's no longer viable in this game, even if it's not top tier, just because it's so freaking fun. Yeah, this is what I'm thinking. Like, 
I'm going to have a hard matchup against Phoenix either way, and I'm going to have some hard matchups anyway, so I think I've reached the point where I might just play the funner deck that's different to the deck I've been playing for like six months now. Uh, the copy of Test, grab a bunch of attachments, and then void fist people into oblivion? Exactly. The only other option, of course, is another deck that we've sort of been working on, which is sort of like low-cost monks and just tries to do weird stuff with fate and things, but I don't think that's a serious deck. Everyone's had about a month of working on their spicy build, so I think being a grand Kotai and Paris being one of the central hubs in Europe, we're going to see some real interesting things there. So I'm interested to see what a week worth of uh, prepping has done for a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. I think certainly I know the Dragon Chat um, has been working quite hard on what the best version of dueling is. And there's a few, like the Seeker and Keeper variants, there's a few people who've got different versions with their favorite cards in. I think it's generally coming along quite nicely. And we'll see some very interesting stuff coming out of there. I'm keeping my eye on uh, Lion. They haven't gotten any uh, tools lately, but that uh, that Fires of Justice, uh, don't turn your back on that one, boys and girls. <laughs> that one will sneak up on you. Yeah, I haven't really seen it yet explode into a good deck, but I think it's just a matter of time. Oh, I was playing a game on Jigoku the other day, and I turned my back and suddenly had like six or seven fate on my cautious scout, and I'm just terrified because like I am one assassination away from losing all of my Jesus, resources. Jesus, that's scary. Scary and brilliant at the same time. I think that describes the Lion Clan uh, in a nutshell. Beware the Okoto High Roller Casino. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. After Paris, we have two Kotai in Illinois here in america and it's not two in different places it's two on the same venue one after the other it's, yeah same venue and this is something of a legacy from last year's kotai structure where cascade games set up injunction a lot of kotais to be in various gaming conventions and anime conventions i believe what the cases for this one is they had already set up the space in adepticon where this event will be taking place so they had so many days slotted already however once they changed their structure they ended up having extra days i don't know that for sure but i believe that's how it ended up rolling out i did reach out to cascade games to ask them how it's going to happen and this is just too full kotai so if you show up on friday for the kotai you will play a six round swiss and then following day on saturday there will be a cut to top eight simultaneously on saturday they're going to start a brand new six round swiss and then sunday there's also going to be a uh, top eight for the championship so two full kotais one day the big question is can you win hatamoto in both tournaments and if you can the second one is going to be a lot easier to win it in because, of course, the top cut is going to be going on with all the other players who've already won it out of the running for a while. Yeah, well, uh, I'll be very interested to see how that happens and stuff, although I don't want to disparage anyone who happens to make their Hatamoto on the second day. That's something I saw a lot in the last version of L5R during Gen Con, which would be the main world event. There would be the main tournament and there'd be the second chance tournament and if you people who did well in the second chance tournament they'd be like oh you did well but all the good players were in the main event so winning is winning i mean it does it doesn't matter the size of a tournament or the prestige of the tournament or the level of the tournament if you go in and you come out with a winning score against multiple opponents you've done something that's worth being proud of i mean it's it's a positive thing it's hard to do 
I can definitely say from personal experience, you can beat the best and still be bad, and you can do horribly and still be a good player and stuff. I've seen some of the best in the scrub leagues and seen some people with just crazy, wacky stuff just falling ass backwards into the top cut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The number of times where you've looked at a top cut desk list and you've been like, wait, what? And the number of times you've looked at a really good player who's like one five the bottom tables, and it's just like, all right, it's a game. You know. I think I have an overwhelming winning record versus Chris Potorf, the very skilled player over at the Jade Throat and stuff. I'd love you to be the first, middle, and last player a place to tell you, Chris Potorf is leagues better than I am and stuff. I just happened to catch him on Jagoku, and he was just, uh, you know, screwing around, testing out some jank. Didn't work out for him. Nine times out of ten, it was just because, like, hey, I flipped Guest of Honor in the first turn and threw three fade at him. It was like, well, I lose. <laughs> It, yeah, but if you beat people testing jank decks, that's not necessarily the same thing, you know. The number of games I've lost on Jigoku just playing some random thing I threw together because I was like, hey, does this work? And I don't really count those as like, you know, internally you have your personal like sort of win-loss record. The games you win versus the games you lose that like matter to you. And I don't count those towards my internal sort of like, you know, calendar that keeps me positive you know because i've lost so many games just playing random nafts yeah personally when i'm preparing for a tournament i just grind out a bunch of games and i keep a spreadsheet and i make notes of how many games it's won what conditions ones what were the mvps and if i lost what were the biggest causes of me losing and i'm not really happy with the deck until i can get that thing into get about like at least uh, seven to eight straight wins in one grouping of ten. Then I know like the game, uh, the deck is like running on all cylinders and stuff. Because that way I know it doesn't matter if I'm like playing some like skilled new players or some experienced person just testing their stuff out. If I can go like seven out of ten matches winning and stuff, it's pretty on the upper end of things at that point. Yeah, I'd say so. I wish I was so methodolog- methodological. I just chuck some stuff together play a deck that i you know people have been saying is good and just play it until i feel like i know what the cards do and then i roll with it <laughs> uh, i also just go into crane chat and just hunt down either shooter rev or uh the shogun uh eric balhus and be like please tell me how to play this game i'm so <laughs> dumb <laughs> well that's one way to do it I put all the cards that say duel into my deck and I'm losing. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. If you have any special strategies for preparing uh, for Kotai's that you would like to share with the world, um, as long as they are suitable for the podcast, uh, we will we will possibly include them on the next podcast. So do, do send some in if you'd like to. And if you're going to be in Illinois and want to send me your deck list and strategies how to beat it, I would also appreciate that too. Yeah, that is less weighted. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if you're feeling like it, um, Odimara may bring you cookies. I may. I'll I'll have uh, Jeannie bring some cookies or I'll have or order some for her. That's her, her elite expert play style that she has taught me. <laughs> Flowers and cookies. That is one way to sweet talk your way into, into the victory. <laughs> All right. Uh, so our main topic, which is also the biggest news update, boy, have we been spoiled for the last few weeks on news updates. I am kind of grateful there was no news update this particular week that we're recording, and at least half the info we did get is the RPG stuff, which our sister podcast is covering. But just the cards we've seen from Warriors of the Wind and Bonds of Blood. 
so we get to talk about the unicorn now. This is important, right? Best card in the entire unicorn pack. Best, best. I would say best unicorn card in the entire unicorn pack, right? I might say best card ever just for the name alone, which is the most on-brand card I've ever seen. Finbar, please take it away. So the Ivory Kingdom's unicorn so is, cool. is a rhino, right? <laughs> and it, now, it's a rhino fighting lions in what I can assume, based on the architecture in the background, is an Arabian-slash-Indian-style arena. Because if you look at the back, you've got that that sort of, I think of it as a tulip-designed window, which is iconic to do with northern sort of Indian architecture, and you think the Taj Mahal and things like that. So, you know, this is an amazing card for one thing, because it's a rhino, which... Rokugani's clearly don't know the name for, so they've decided to call it an Ivory Kingdom's unicorn. It's a unicorn. It's a four-legged creature. It has a horn. Clearly, it's a unicorn. That's science. (laughs) And then we add in the fact that it's clearly set outside of Rokugan, which gives some hint as to what the book that will come out with the unicorn pack is about. Or maybe it will come out later because the unicorn pack is coming up earlier than they originally intended it, I think. And we haven't heard about the story yet, so... Um, not sure when that's going to come out. But it's also got a quote on it from the Caliph Harun, uh, who is assumedly one of the rulers of the Ivory Kingdoms. And then for those of you who, who don't know, so the Ivory Kingdoms is the it's based on India, and it's kind of to the southwest of Rokugan. And in the old story, it was destroyed through this massive conflict, and then Rokugan colonized it. But at the place we are in the time zone at the moment, it should be a thriving group of sort of, there'll be like loads of different kingdoms and... Um, you know, ruled over by this caliph. Um, and that's sort of in the extended universe. The fact they're bringing in the card is actually very exciting for potential future expansions or themes that the clans could see. So we could see their interactions with the colony, with the, not with the colonies, with other parts of Rokugan and how that affects them. <laughs> it's not a colony yet. <laughs> no, marks. no, well, who knows? <laughs> but I mean, also, its ability is fantastic. So after you break a province attacking with the character, you get your next conflict for the phase, and it becomes military instead of its normal type. So using this, Unicorn could do three military conflicts in a turn instead of having to rely on political strength at all. It's just going to be so much fun. I tell you what, it is a neutral card, it should be pointed out, so anyone can theoretically play it. I mean, me as a crane and most Scorpion, I doubt we're going to play this. But uh, I think anyone who's more excited to play this than the Unicorn might be the Lion. I mean, in the Battle of uh, HMT, Hitsomoro Turide, which Lion and Unicorn both have access to, uh, it's pretty decided that Unicorn has the better version, as the Lion version is much harder to execute. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Honestly, I don't know much about playing Lion, but if I had to guess, I'd say if you threw three of these in your deck you can kind of have a substitute hmt deck while running the original lion box and maybe just have go full force military on this yeah that might be an option uh, the other option of course is if you start to get a lot more just high military ones we might see a resurgence on hmt with this and the um the marauding ogre or oni or whatever it is um, just bringing out a lot of cheap military strength i do have one problem with these these previews from the Warriors of the Wind, though. And I'm just going to talk about it for a second because it's bothering me, right? Agasha Taiko, right? So yeah. this is this <laughs> is the new Dragon Clan Bushi. It's a 2-2-2. And when she comes into play, you choose a non-struggle province, they can't attack it. Right. Now, the art is l- gorgeous. Some of the best 
are like her armor is amazing there's like a whole bit of lens flare going on she's training in the sunshine but it's our third unique agasha and we now have more unique agasha bushi than we have shigenja I just I don't know why they're getting bushy, so I'm I'm confused. Agasha bushy, this is this is like seeing Asahina bushy. This is something you just don't see. Yeah, so they are the Dragon Clan Shugenja family, and they live on a mountain that's basically a volcano, and they have lots of Shugenja. They do have bushy, but the bushy is supposed to be something called Yamabushi, which in Elphavar context means that Earth Shugenja who co- co- cover themselves in like armor of um, Earth get tetsubos of earth and just start beating people up with earth magic in sort of melee combat and potions and things but not bushi so it's very confusing lore wise the ability is interesting enough the ability is interesting is but however she is uh she doesn't meet the dragon's quota of having a busted ability so i actually don't think she makes the cut <laughs> well the only reason she'll be included is to make it more likely that people hit restoration of balance but we'll see we'll see what about you? Have you spotted any of the cards that you're particularly keen about? Um, I, I'm well known for being a crane player, and I don't want to like bring up the crane clan every time I open in my mouth and stuff. But uh, Kikita Ryoku is kind of interesting, and she's something of, of a divisive character right now of whether she's good. For people who do not know, Crane Clan Dynasty character, three fate, one military, three political, two glory, courtier imperial. As a reaction, after a phase begins, if you have the imperial favor, choose a character, honor that character. If this was unlimited, how amazing would it be? Oh, uh, if it was unlimited, she would be super busted. But unfortunately, she's not unlimited. It's just a reaction. It was pointed out that you can use her, like, the turn that you get the favor, you can use it yeah. to quickly honor her, and then every, like, once a turn afterwards, you can keep using it to honor characters. And Crane always like having honored characters. We have, a, yeah. like, a decently high glory. You could honor someone you bought in the Dynasty phase as well, which is good. On one hand, Crane like being honored. We have a lot of cards. We have your four uh, shames and your noble sacrifices. And we're also getting new cards, such as the previewed The Spear Rushes Forth, which uh, expends honor tokens for a powerful effect, or Try Again Tomorrow, which came out in Children of the Empire, which you just need an honored courtier to be present to be able to use. So there is a need for it. But with Way of the Crane and Soul Beyond Reproach, the upcoming Crane Box and stuff, we already have a pretty abundant way of gaining honor tokens should we need them. It's As someone who's uh, our clan's main strategy is Kikita Yoshi trying to secure that favor to pop off his ability, I can tell you, like even if you're trying really hard, it's not that guaranteed to claim the Imperial favor. And once you do, it's uh, kind of hard to keep it afterwards. So it's already a, a journey trying to keep it just for Yoshi. I don't know if I want to put forth the effort for Ryoko here for doing something I can already kind of do pretty easily. Yeah, exactly. Like if she was in Phoenix, for example, the honoring effect would be appreciated a lot more oh absolutely if you've got the emperor and you're building a like sort of defensive crane deck that we might get down the road with the emperor then you could potentially see how she could come out sort of on top big caveat to that also is i'm looking through cards for a very uh, like how is it going to fix fit in a dueling style deck even though right now the decks are still kind of a hybrid duelish slash courtiers and stuff but we are seeing a breaching point of do you want to build a courtier deck? Do you want to build a duelist deck? Or do you want to build an Asahina deck and lose? I mean, these are your options. <laughs> yeah, the Asahina deck does need a bit of work, but maybe we'll start to see that. First fire, and then... 
a restructure. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, that, that seems to be how I would do it as well, just burn it to the ground and start again. Ironically, that's how the Asahita clan was founded. <laughs> um, so let's just talk then, I suppose, about, or well, for the Empire first. This is quite an interesting pack. Um, we haven't seen a lot of cards from it. We've got our first disguised card, which is an interesting ability. Yep, Isawa Tadaka is a disguised Shigenja, so you need a cheap Shigenja on the board before you can play him with his disguise ability. He is, as usual, five cost for five military, three political, two glory. He's still the uh, Shigenja Earth Elemental Master. He's a conflict character. Can only be splashed in Phoenix and Crab Clans. Yeah, that's very flavorful. Absolutely. You could see him hanging out with what is presumed to be Kuniyori in the background of his artwork right there. They're not up to no good. Not at all. Yeah, what, what, what could those guys possibly be getting into? They're good honorable samurai, right? Yeah. Uh, as an ability, during a conflict, remove one or more characters in your dynasty discard pile from the game. Look at that many random characters from your opponent's hand. Choose in this card one of those cards. This is a very powerful ability and very thematic. Story-wise, Isawa Tadaka, the strength of his abilities, as a Shigenja, you must give an offering to the Kami, cast magic for you. Tadaka is skirting very close to blood magic. Let's ignore he's hanging out with Kuniyori right now. But it's still technically just doing a very primitive form of actual earth offerings. But he sacrifices pieces of his body. The reason he yep, wears that exactly. mask is because he sacrificed most of his face to power his spells. By accident. Because he didn't realize which part of his body he was sacrificing. And then after his duel, he was like, oh, God, there goes my cheek. It's almost like everyone who's he's ever talked to about this has told him it's really risky and dangerous. <laughs> like, so the blood magic is originally an Asawa thing. And Tadaka's, you know, in the story, it talks about Tadaka having that magic in his history and his family's historical bloodline. But the caveat is everyone else who's tried to use that magic has become corrupted. It's the Asawa's secret shame is that the people who's tried to use this magic, because it, it's, it's tainted magic, um, have all fallen to corruption. And in the old storyline, Tadaka himself fell to corruption and created Tadaka no Oni. So, you know, it's interesting to see where that's going. I'm not really sure. And to, for people who are not up to stuff on their lore, uh, the, the, the difference, the dividing line of how can you be blood magic sometimes and not others is the use of a special kind of kami called the Kansen. And these are dark, corrupted types of kami that are specifically employed when using maho magic. Now, if you can do a blood offering, which is what Tadaka is using, which is similar to how the content operate, but it is not imploring the content. That is, right now, what separates Tadaka, the Elemental Master, from Tadaka, the Maho Bloodspeaker. Yes, but the, the Kami that answer the call is not always within your command, so you may find yourself aligned with some evil spirits without intending to be. And the way Taint works in Rakugan is you may not be crossing the line, but if you hang out close enough to it for a while, uh, it starts tempting to you, or in the case of Kuniyori, maybe skeleton birds start talking to you. <laughs> so here's an interesting thing to point out. In, next to Tadaka in the article, we have Earth Becomes Sky, right? So Earth Roll only, reaction after a character and opponent controls is ready, bow that character. Very strong because it works during the ready step, so you can use it to keep someone permanently bowed. In the old game, the art for this was just a guy throwing a boulder over you because Earth becomes sky is 
someone throwing a boulder over you that's the earth becoming your sky rocks fall everyone dies but this is it sort of sparks an interesting question for me so in this game we're seeing a lot more clan aligned spells right Mm. versus neutral spells and this was something that i thought was quite interesting but also a bit you know disappointing right so in the old game whether or not you could cast a spell depended on the elements of the spell being cast, right? Mm. So sometimes you just had spells that worked with everyone and you just had to attach them to a Shigenja, and that was fine. And then you had some spells that had to be attached to a Shigenja with a matching element. But in this game, it seems that most of the spells are going to be clan-aligned rather than limited by element. And I wondered, and I wanted to ask you because I thought it would be interesting, do you think it would be a better, more interesting game if... The limitation on, say, Earth becomes Sky, it was a neutral card, but it just said you must have an Earth Shigendra in play to cast this spell. Or every spell had a caveat that you had to have a Shigendra of the matching element in play to cast the spell. So suddenly your Cloud the Mind becomes an air Shigendra-only effect. You have to have a water Shigendra in play to cast Supernatural Storm. But then a lot of these cards, like Supernatural Storm, Earth becomes Sky, become not, say, Phoenix cards but neutral cards instead. And you would be taking something away from the Phoenix, but you could give them stuff like Consumed by Five Fires or particularly strong spells instead of all of the spells. Well, not to take everything back to dueling, but the way they are implementing dueling right now is something I really like how they will do for many effects, whereas here's an, here's an event or here's an attachment, and it does a thing. However, if you happen to be a thematically aligned trait, like if you happen to be a duelist doing it like a Kikita Dojo, then the card gets significantly stronger. I think that frees up a lot of design because... What we saw before, we even see it right now with Cloud the Mine. Cloud the Mine single-handedly makes Shugenja the strongest keyword to be on a character because it's the most powerful effect as locked. I mean, the ones that are Bushi and Cordier locked right now are very common but have almost no impact on the game, really. You have Four Shame, but you never, uh, that's your lion, RIP lion. You have no shortage of courtiers to play that right now. Cloud the Mind is very powerful because it solves so many issues in the meta, and so you find people scrambling to just shoehorn Shugenja they wouldn't normally play just to be able to play that card. So I don't want to see more effects like that where it's it's, unless like you like i would be fine if we say oh earth becomes sky is a great earth thing and makes me want to play earth well in a world of role locking and also a world of people only have access to so many cards scorpion and crane tend to have access to only air shugenja dragon tend only have access to fire and earth shugenja yeah exactly so the idea would be that this card would be locked to those clans who thematically have earth abilities rather than just phoenix if you could promise me like all these abilities would be like on parity power wise which caveat that's like an impossible statement to make right it probably is harder to balance if like i mean this is the problem we had with combo spell decks in the old game is that you know some of them would just make these broken combo decks that could destroy your entire board remotely and things like that we definitely don't want to go down that route. It just seems to me that the game loses something when, like, because something like Earth Becomes Sky isn't historically a Phoenix-only spell. It's something that, again, you'd see the Agasha using. You'd see the Cooney using. Um, 
because they've got very strong earth magic. You wouldn't see the Asahina using it, for example. But the fact that then it becomes a Phoenix card, it sort of feels like you're losing something lore-wise for... I don't know, the gain is balance, I suppose. So you can't just have it in every deck that has Earth Shigenja. Yeah, it's it's an interesting line of being flavorful and being effective. And at least for the else, like I have the fictions and the RPG, which I love to bring me my lore and stuff. And while I would love to see as much of the stuff realized in the LCG, I'd always caution on the side of balance as opposed to being thematic and stuff. Right now I, I'm playing Crane and I see a Asahina character that has any military stat whatsoever. I kind of get a little irritable because that makes up almost no sense at all. Yeah, that's given true. the lore of the character. Kikita Yoshi, it is absurd the amount of times I've won a military battle where I honor him and throw give him like uh, a set of fine katanas and start taking strongholds and stuff. When Kikita's Yoshi's history is like according to lore is he is cursed to never wield steel and should never be in that situation. However, if he's going to be a card on the board, I need a functional card on the board. You know, my lore be damned. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, it's interesting that you have to get these balance cards. And the reason the Asahina cards are so bad is because they have a dash in political. Yeah, like I said before, the, the way they're doing dueling with many of the cards where it's like, here's an option that's available to kind of anybody. However, if you build a synergistic deck you start seeing a lot of the flavor right and even right now like when you look at crane dueling versus dragon dueling or other clans that aren't necessarily duelists but have these little splash options or if they want to bring in some dragon and crane options how they adapt to dueling in their own special little nuanced way and so i think that like keeps both the card balance it makes these powerful effects available to everyone to use and also keeps things relatively thematic enough without breaking everything yeah i think that's a fair argument with the old game you had an issue with shugenja because spells were primarily like I want to say 90% or 99% attachments that you needed a yep. Shugenja to play. So the uh, Shugenja was just a tower. Like you could have like this zero force uh, Shugenja. It didn't matter. It just existed to be a tower to just stack all these spells on top of. Um, and that became like, that's how it like greatly warped the Phoenix clan in the past because like, oh, it's a spell. It's basically a Phoenix only card. And then the, all the characters in turn would be like not effective because they weren't there to have a powerful ability on themselves. They were just there to serve as a platform for all these spells. Yeah, that's true. And then sometimes you've got other clans with Shigenjus and weird combos and things started to come out. Occasionally. Sometimes the spider clan would start breeding zombies and you had to nuke the board but that's that's neither here nor there <laughs> um when i was uh getting into the game after i left the navy in, like in 2009 and my friends were showing me the ropes of the old game i was fascinated by the phoenix because my good friend andy would play this deck and he's showing me he's like okay so i'm gonna play this card it's gonna chain react i'm gonna play this other card and then i'm gonna attach both these cards i'm gonna look through my deck and find this card i really want i'm gonna kill this character this character this character and then i lose I'm like, wait, what? You just did 20 different things and your cards are super powerful. Like, yeah, the weird way they balance the Phoenix is they have all, all these moving parts and you still just lose. <laughs> and no one can really figure out why. It, 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 so I would I would prefer like, the card designed to be a little bit more open just so you don't find yourself designed into these weird... The old game had a lot of corners. They backed a lot of the clans or a certain type of archetypes into, in which case they could, like 
not be anything more or less than what they already were just because that's how the design space had kind of pigeonholed themselves. Yeah, and then they print a silver bullet that tackled that specific pigeonhole just in case it became too strong and then you'd have a problem where people were playing a lot of silver bullet cards. Oh yeah, the aforementioned Breeder deck, which was a deck that just built a bunch of zombies, they started building a bunch of silver bullets that were like, okay, we're just going to uh, print these cards to instantly destroy anything that's boxable, which was like four gold costs or less. Yeah, yeah. And that was great for killing zombies. Unfortunately, a lot of the courtiers at the time were also (laughs) four costs or less. And then it became really good at just killing all of your crate opponent's decks. It was brilliant. Yeah. I loved it. Crate and Scorpion were just murdered for being too Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't see the problem. Um, get some expensive characters, please. <laughs> now, speaking of Crane and Bonds of Blood, oh boy. I promise I'm not trying to talk about Crane dueling every five seconds. However, if FSG is going to give me these boons of duel to the death. I'm stealing this one. You do realize that. I'm taking this card. Okay, I'm gonna do it. put it in Dragon because the idea of duel to the death being a Crane only thing annoys me. And this is actually as well, I was talking earlier how you can take these cards and just put it in deck and they will act very differently. So people who don't know, Duel to the Death is a crane event, costs one fate, action during a conflict, initiate a military duel. Your opponent may dishonor his or her character to refuse the duel, otherwise resolve the duel. Discard the duel's loser. So this is a kill duel. And the interesting part of it is, let's say you are playing dragon and you grab this deck and you duel me. Well, I'm going to dishonor. Now, you can try to play some moves to dishonor me first so I can't do it, or maybe you're going to play two. On the flip side, if you're Crane or Scorpion, I already have a bunch of options to dishonor you before this duel even comes out. I'm just going to do the first duel with Hitomi, right? And then you lose, you dishonor, and then I cut the head off. Oh, Hitomi is very uh, lethal with this duel, but she's also just one character. Almost all my characters can do it, especially when paired with Steward of Law. And I think uh, a lot of people have noticed this combo of Steward of Law will prevent any character from being dishonored, so if you get targeted by a duel to the death, well, it's automatically the death duel. So I think anyone who is going to splash Crane for a duel to the death is going to take the other remaining influence. Because this card is like three influence right off the bat. Yeah, exactly. So full set is going to be nine, then you get like room for one more. I do think that this is going to be available after the crane pack comes out. So doing a full support of the crane for this dual package is going to be viable. What I think you you do is you do keeper, you do maybe two or three of these, you do three Ejatsu Master and then Steward of Law as many as you can fit in. Maybe two Steward of Law. Run like that, you know. I don't think you need to go full on support of the crane. But we will see how this sort of unfurls by the time the crane pack comes out uh, and the Bonds of Blood start, which should be with us around June. I think that sort of wraps up quite nicely sort of what we've seen so far in the previews of Bonds of Blood. Um, We're definitely not going through them all, uh, just sort of trying to talk through uh, the bits that we find quite interesting, both lore-wise and sort of functionality-wise, and how sort of powerful we think they're going to come out. I do want to make one comment before we go, and actually we're going back to the Shattered Horns article, which is, again, talking about cards that are going to be released in the Warriors of the Wind Unicorn pack, is Ikoma Anakazu. And it's question that one for a second. Conflict character, four cost, three military, three political. Three political already is more politics than most lions see. Two glory, Bushi Daimyo, 
So this is the daimyo of the Ikoma clan. As a trait, during each conflict in which this character is participating, it gets plus three military and plus three political if your opponent has broken one or more of your provinces this phase. So Lion has won actually embrace the, uh, this idea of losing is winning for us. Like, we can't defend anything, so we're just going to stop trying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a bit of a questionable theme, but we'll see how it works out. He's very cheap for his stats. Four for six, six. I've, I, I've already seen lions will often have a full row of the three province strength break my province, I get cool stuff. Like, obviously, Upholding Authority is very strong. But the other ones I see running the uh, the other th- several ones that I can't remember the names of because that's how little I care about them. But <laughs> <laughs> with this card, you, like, as a conflict character alone, it gives you the flexibility to play it when you need it. And I thought he would be good enough just to play as a straight-up Dynasty characters line of looking for a decent four-coster with decent stats and a decent ability and stuff, this is all that. He's in your conflict deck. Yeah. So we know Unicorn is going to get a huge boost with their new stronghold. Possibly their creepy little deer creature thing might, might be good or might be worthless. We still don't know. But I think if I'm a Lion Clan, I think this is, like, the sun is starting to rise. I mean, not in that artwork. He is definitely fighting at sunset, or potentially in a burning Hisamore Teride. Also, interestingly, dueling two katana. So, you know, clearly embracing the uh, the Niten style. Um, <laughs> the Niten. I had, uh, uh, there was uh, someone on the crane board arguing that Uji must be a practitioner of... Uh, the Niten style because all his artwork has him yeah, with yeah. holding He's two, two weapons, weapons and stuff. Like, just because uh, someone has two weapons doesn't necessarily mean they're well Niten either they're style. Niten or they're using <laughs> two weapons badly so you know it's up to you really uh, speaking of lore uh, Uji is actually a huge um, uh, he had a big fascination with foreign and other odd weapons so his love of two katana, or actually is like his uh, katana and his wakazashi, uh, has stems more from him like using unusual tactics in the battlefield rather than an adherence. Yes, to and we may see a resurgence of the Crane's use of gunpowder after a while. Crane have never used gunpowder. I don't know what you're talking about. This is slanderous lies, and I will do you if you consider this line of Greek question. Yeah, but I'm dragon, so I'd win. Um, anyway, I think on that note, let's um, <laughs> let's just move on. <laughs> so, listen to questions. We haven't had any yet because our first podcast is uh, just um, sort of being, say, reviewed by the first sort of people to listen to it. We've been out for two days. How dare you all not send us your questions? Yeah, exactly. You know, hopefully we'll start to get some of those through when a few more people have had a chance to listen to it. We are sort of present in all the uh, chat rooms on the Discord. So, you know, if you see something that's being discussed that you think is quite interesting and you want to ping it our way and just sort of tag us in your chat, we can drop in and sort of see what's going on and have a look at the discussions. And if there's anything interesting, we'll take it away from that. I have I have held to my promise. I have not gone in lion chat and started trolling them. Now, I have been in crab and unicorn, but I haven't been in lion I, chat. I'm proud of you. Uh, there has to be a line somewhere. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that you've managed to restrain your urges. I know there's a war on, but you've got to keep it. You've got to keep it together, man. You've got to keep it together. So I'm bored one day and I'm like, what's going on in crab chat? Let me just 
pop my head in there real quick. And I was just in there going, crab, crab, crab. And I just instantly post the uh, Arrested Development meme of, I don't know what I expected. Yeah, I just checked now on the off chance that maybe they were posting crab again, but actually they're having a proper discussion about strategy and tactics, so. I don't believe you. It's disappointing, I know. <laughs> anyway, uh, final shout-outs in closing. Once again, uh, we are ever grateful to Seabass, who apparently gets very embarrassed when he we give him all the praise that is his, his due for running and organizing this podcast, the other podcast. He does all the editing. Pretty sure he helps the homeless on the weekends and is just general a saint among human beings. Yep, so once we've given him a few more shout-outs, we'll uh, let him sort of relax back into his embarrassment and stop talking about him so much. Uh, and of course, a shout out to the RPG half of our podcast, which uh, is a lot more productive than we are. Uh, but they also have a lot of content to get through um, in terms of uh, Courts of Stone and, you know, all these other things to talk about. Um, so quite excited about that. Yeah, our, our podcast by nature kind of has a short attention span of like, what's the most recent development in cards, which will either be really exciting or really dull. The RPG one has years and years of lore to dig through. If not the most recent stuff, then they have a big back, back catalog. Yeah, exactly. And of course, a shout out to our community for you know playing a lot of games and being very sort of optimistic about where things are going. Um, I think we're sort of in the middle of a very positive uh, cycle for L5R with Children of the Empire coming out and bringing us loads of new cards and tactics and spins. Um, people are a bit negative about Phoenix at the moment and how sort of embargo effects feel. But I think we could talk about that at another point. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, as the meta continues to settle. And of course, we are already sort of two or three months from you know, the Unicorn Pack should be out and then we'll have uh, a new cycle starting. So there's lots to look forward to this year, I think. Yeah, I think I just saw words that uh, Season 4 kits are starting to appear at your local gaming store. So now is still, like, one of the best times to get in, stay in. If you're looking to, like, grow your community, now's the time to do it. And if you don't have a local community to, to grow into and stuff, well, it's always the Discord League. <laughs> Very nice. Okay, well, um, yeah, no, it's been good. 